0: What if we could reimagine the traditional notion of a high flyer? Hey friends, welcome back, or welcome to the High Flyers podcast, where we do reimagine a high flyer, showcase the brightest and most relatable role models and companies and their journey from sunrise to today. As one of the premier products in our curiosity center lineup, providing on-demand intelligence, Featuring Olympic athletes, business and cultural leaders, students, journalists, investors, founders, and more from around the world to help you be 1% better every single day. I'm your host, Vidit Agarwal, and let's have some fun. Today, in this episode 122, I'm speaking with Chiel Manot. Learn about Chiel's Indian American heritage growing up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, with parents of Indian origin. Shiel talks about the influence of his grandfather, desire to always go into business and connecting with his dual identity. Unpacking one of his magic moments, hear about how living in India on a dollar a day for a year as part of his role at the micro-lending platform Kiva was a formative period for Shiel to understand the people he was serving and live like them. And we spent a good chunk of this conversation on the state of fintech today, given Shiel and his fund, Better Tomorrow Ventures, our prominent seed investor, how he views building an enduring firm, the five investors he'd love to be in a room with, and your audience questions, including three tips on how to crack into VC today, raw ingredients for the best investment memos, and first meetings with founders. And as a bonus, he'll shares the story of marrying his wife in the metaverse with Taco Bell, and how he managed to spend a weekend with Airbnb co-founder Brian Chesky. Yup, true stories. It's now time to explore your curiosity Please enjoy. Shil Minot, welcome to the show.
1: So happy to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: I'm pumped to do this. Why don't we start with some fun facts to set the scene for our listeners. Where were you born and where do you live now?
1: I was born in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, on the East Coast here in the United States. And I now live in San Francisco. I've been, been in the Bay area for over 10 years now.
0: And what was your first job and what do you do now?
1: The first job I worked at a uniform store. So, um, it was, I found it, I think they posted a sign in my school and I was working, it was $6 an hour and I was, you know, fixing the computer and just like doing their accounts, that kind of stuff, like random stuff in the office. Um, and that was, that was my actual job. Um, before that, I did some odd stuff like uh, fixing computers, um, worked as a DJ, stuff mm. like that. Not actual jobs, but you know, little uh, odds and ends here and there. So now, um, you know, I run a venture fund. We're focused on fintech and leading pre-seed and seed rounds. Um, I started the fund with with a friend of mine a few years ago, and now we're on our second fund.
0: Mm. And Sheila, as you know, the purpose of this show is to reimagine a high flyer. Is there a high flyer you know who you feel hasn't got the recognition they deserve?
1: Yeah, you know, so it, there's so many, but and maybe this is cliche. I think my team at BTV is really exceptional, and I can imagine every one of the the folks. So JC, Nihar, Lauren um, on the on the investments team. I can imagine them being like future stars in the world of venture capital, hopefully with us. Um, And so I feel like like they're starting to get some recognition, but I really want them to get more recognition.
0: Mm. I feel like that's something we can talk about is venture performance inside a fund as an analyst and moving your way up. So we'll touch on that later in the episode. Sounds good. I'd love to take you back to your Sunrise Shield, your childhood and early memories. Tell me about the influence of family and the environment.
1: Yeah, for sure. So I grew up in an Indian family, um, from Rajasthan, so kind of a businessy family. Um, my grandfather on my mom's side, my mom's side of the family, you know, they were in business, and and I always liked what they were doing. So I think I always knew I wanted to be in business. I don't think I knew what that meant necessarily, but it's kind of something that I'd always had in my head. So I think I do think that has played a part in who I am today, um, and. I think, you know, my, my parents aren't in business. Like my dad's chemical engineer, mom worked in computer science and other stuff. Um, but I think that familial background played a role. And I sort of always saw myself going into that path, even though, you know, like many Indian families, my parents wish I was a doctor.
0: (laughs) What is it? Doctor, lawyer, accountant. I feel like those are the. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And how would your high school teachers describe you? So I. Um, your, your assistant line put me in touch with some of your team. And one of the things they said is Sheil has this childlike wonder and curiosity. He has a vest for learning and for life. Were you always like that? Were you always curious and were you always just intrigued?
1: I think so. Yeah. I think, um, I think you would have like, I think they said I was like a good kid, but also always going to get in trouble. <laughs> so like, I was always in trouble always in the principal's office, had done something. But I think they knew in their hearts, they were like, okay, he's, he's a good kid. He's just like doing stupid stuff. And so I had some teachers who really liked me. And then I had some teachers who really hated me. Who were like, I was doing, I was acting up too much in class.
0: And talk about the Indian heritage. So I've had a few guests on the show that have lived in different countries and, and they've got a different connection to that Indian heritage. What was it like for you? Did you connect with that Indian heritage growing up?
1: Yeah, I did. Um, you know, I spent a lot of time in India growing up, probably went every year or two. Mm. Um we don't have any family in the United States really. It's most it's all in India, aside from my parents. So, you know, I, I was I grew up going there regularly. And so I, I think of it I think of myself as a very Indian guy. You know, I speak language speak Hindi. I um I have watched a lot of Hindi movies growing up, spent a lot of time there and I think of it as my second place. Like I'm definitely Indian American, but probably American first.
0: Yeah. And talk about your heroes. You mentioned influence of India family. Did you have any posters in the wall, any heroes you looked up to that you were influenced by?
1: My grandfather, who I mentioned earlier, I think my on my mom's side, I um, I think, yeah, I I I always looked up to him. He, he'd started many businesses throughout the year, throughout the years. He he, um, And he sort of saw what the future was going to be various times. So he had like uh, – he manufactured TVs in India. He made call boxes, the like pay phones that people use in India. He had these various companies. So he always sort of saw a little bit ahead and, and built companies to satisfy those needs. He had a cable station for a while in India. So I I always thought, you know, I want to be like him. So I, I always looked up to him.
0: Mm. And I want to go into magic moments. It's probably the aspect listeners love the most because we unpack some of your human um, stories and some of your parts that people might not see on your Twitter or LinkedIn. Um, I'd be curious about your early career. We start with career. We've sort of given some lens on your personal story. How did you decide what to get into in the early days? Because I think you've got a really interesting background where you have now you're an investor, but early on you were a founder. You've also been an operator. Did you always have that multidimensional interest?
1: I don't think I necessarily had a plan for myself. You know, it's always, there's always, obviously that quote, look, you connect the dots looking backwards. Mm. I think I was just like, along the way I found an opportunity and either it worked or it didn't work. And then if it worked, I went deeper into that opportunity and that's kind of how it went. I would say there weren't like, it wasn't something I thought of very much. um, Like, what am I going to do next? I will say the one thing is um when I was an entrepreneur founder, I I saw the other side of the table, the venture capitalists, and I thought, those guys are really smart. I want to be doing what they're doing. So I did I did think about that. And that was, you know, 10, 12 years ago. And then it did end up becoming a reality for me.
0: Did you if you think back to your experiences to date, is there a highlight, a six or a twelve month period that sticks out that you'd love to relive that was your favorite?
1: No, I mean, one that was, I, th- I think, transformative, maybe not my favorite, but interesting is I spent a year living in India, mm. um, as an adult and I was living on a dollar a day. So, you know, I was living like a, a poor person in India or relatively. And, um, I was doing it to live like a borrower. I, I was working in microfinance and I wanted to understand what it was like to be the people that we were serving. And, um, it was, it was really interesting. I feel like I, you know, you learn all these tricks on how to avoid paying for things. And, and um, I think it just leads to a different type of life. But the most important thing I learned was I didn't really need money to be happy. You know, I was very much enjoying my life at that time and I don't think money is something that like makes me happy in any way that I don't really have any material desires. Um and I think that realization and maybe that mind shift mind shift happened while I was living in India.
0: That's really interesting because now you're a VC, a venture capitalist, and-, and VCs it's all about dollars and cents. How do you how do you internalize that when you are... Uh- you you seem like someone who's very content with life and you seem like you're at peace with who you are but then you're investing in companies and hoping to get a financial outcome while making the world better
1: yeah so i think um i think i think there are probably uh, there's a lot of other folks in this bucket but it's like you just want to have success and so for us having success is our companies being successful mm. so like i think we work really hard to make our company successful because that is the metric by which we feel happiness and feel measured by is like our company's success. Um, And so I think that in and of itself is the motivator.
0: I want to get to work in a second, but I just want to continue the conversation yourself and and ask about painful learnings. I think that's something that I love understanding is there a period that stands out for you that was tough in the moment, but you look back on and it was a great learning experience. I'm sure you've had many knocks because people would... Look at your LinkedIn oh, today. yeah, People will look at your LinkedIn and go, Shiel is so successful. He's done so many things, but I'm sure there's knocks there as well. Is there one that stands out for you that taught you the most? I
1: think there's been a lot of painful learnings through the years. In venture, I think, you know, this is a down market uh, for venture this past year has been really tough. And I've learned so much. Um, and so, it's hard to pinpoint one particular learning, um, but there have been so many. And I'll just say, you know, the biggest learning is like, even the people I looked up to as my heroes, now I get to serve on the same board as some of them or learn from them. I think what I've learned is like, even my heroes are facing the same challenges. And like, mm. nobody knows what to do or what the right answer is. Everybody's figuring it out as they go. And I think I realized that pretty late in life, but um, it's certainly true.
0: I want to, on magic moments, I mean, I, I've got a couple of notes here That's I think you're one of the, probably the only investors who's done this. At the beginning of the pandemic, Monat was rejected on the Zoom bachelorette, um, a makeshift dating show, where I think you met your now wife. Is that is that right?
1: It's not where I met her, but um, I met her because of the show. So I was on a dating show. Um, somebody who was watching the show said, I want to set you up with my friend. And that's how the whole thing happened. And now we're married. Yeah, crazy.
0: And you had your wedding last week with there was something with Taco Bell. Tell us about that. Taco Bell,
1: yeah, yeah, yeah. So Taco Bell um, had this application where you could apply and have a um, Taco Bell Metaverse wedding, and it all sounded crazy, but sounded really fun. So uh, you know, my my fiance or my my now wife, um, and I, my she agreed to do it. I mean, it's truly incredible that she agreed to do it. But um, we we applied. We made a two minute video. And they selected us out of, I think, a few hundred applicants. And uh, they, over the past six months, have been planning this wedding for us. And it's, it was an Indian wedding in the metaverse. We had Cal Penn as an officiant. We um, had a Bharat. We had a Mundup. We had a Fire. All that stuff in this decentralized metaverse.
0: That's that's amazing. Because I think one thing I, I mentioned it earlier, if I look at your Twitter feed, that that you've got this... Just really exciting balance of being an investor and talking about business topics, but then just talking about stuff like this and talking about tacos and talking about Justin Bieber, I think you recently spent some time with <laughs> with Brian Chesky. you were at at the Airbnb lodge with Brian Chesky It's hey, true man. yeah 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 what was what was right, that experience yeah. like like what did you did you go in with an investor mindset where you wanted to get to know Brian the founder or did you go there as a as an Airbnb guest and he just wanted to have some time
1: off. As an Airbnb guest, wanted to hang out. And he was a wonderful host. And we got to spend a lot of time talking about Airbnb. And I'd say we become friends. Like, um, I just texted him today. Um, you know, I, I I think he's a really wonderful guy. And he took he takes product feedback, like, and he works on it himself. I think, like, a lot of people in the CEO seat – you know, I think they like hand off, they have a, a broad vision and then they, and then people execute on it and, and they, they don't really pay attention to the details that much. I found he really pays attention to the details, even minute stuff that's internal to the, to the company he was managing. So I, I thought it was really cool um, and, and wonderful that he chose to do, to host us as, at, at his Airbnb house.
0: Was there anything about that experience that surprised you talking to him or just seeing him in action?
1: how down to earth Mm -hmm. was he was, he was just so down to earth. And he, um, he made -hmm. a lot of time for us. Like he, he basically spent the entire weekend with us, which Mm -hmm. I did not expect. Um, And then I, you know, he showed us a lot of intimate details. There was nothing I ever asked him that he didn't give me a straight answer for. Like if I asked him for something, he would immediately tell me the truth, not like, Oh, I, we can't share that or anything like that. Like he showed me a lot of, uh, a lot of cool stuff that he was working on you know, like I said, internal tools that I didn't think the CEO would get involved in, he was making sure that their customer service people have a great internal tool. Mm. That's that's really cool.
0: Back to the episode in a moment. We've been very fortunate to feature some of the brightest and most relatable minds. Nikki Shavak, founder of Blackbird Ventures, one of the earliest investors of Canva in episode 67. Professional athletes with cricketer Ed Cowan and Olympic sprinter Steve Solomon. In episode 56 and 61. A co-founder Up, Dom Pim, in episode 90, all there waiting for you. Another one shield that I want to touch on with magic moments, and as you can tell, we're jumping around a bit here, is, is the world of podcasts. You, I know you created the Pitch podcast and is was acquired by Gimlet Gimlet Media, if I'm right. Yeah. I won't ask you about how that happened because you've shared that in other podcasts, but I will ask you about the podcast business. If you put your investor hat on, and I know FinTech's your area of expertise, but if you put an investor hat on, what What do you think of the podcast business? Do you think it's a business that can grow, and do you see potential there for outsized returns?
1: Yeah, so I think you know it's a media business, and it's one that's particularly hard to monetize. Um, so I don't see it as a venture scale opportunity, but I think there's a good opportunity to build a business. I think if you look at the acquisitions that have happened, anybody who sort of looking backward would say the you know Spotify overpaid for Gimlet.
0: Let's go into work, and 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 we'll go and get into VC as part of this as well. Is if my research serves me correct, I think you started your career at the micro lending platform Kiva, and that was where. That's right, and that's that's when you would also traveled to India, as you mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, so so I started my finance career. Before that, I worked as I worked in consulting for a little bit, and and before that, I I worked um, in uh, a healthcare software company.
0: And how would you describe? So I imagine you're probably about five to 10 years into your career at this point. How would you describe your...
1: I, no, I'm actually, it's, I'm 21 years into my career. At this
0: point. Sorry, when I meant, I meant this point as in Kiva, when you were at Kiva. Oh, oh, yeah, oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> sorry. Oh, okay, okay,
1: okay. I thought you were giving me a great compliment.
0: But- <laughs> you do look young. You, you look very young. Yeah. Um,
1: yeah, yeah. So at, at Kiva times, yeah, I was five years in. That's right.
0: Yeah, so I'm curious about that learning journey from then to now. Have you consciously try to back to that curiosity and having that innate interest to be intrigued how have you I think about this a lot with my own journey and with guests on the show is how have you consciously tried to learn have you built a board of mentors around yourself or do you spend time reading or have you done courses what have been some of those unlocks for you that have helped you become the best version of yourself
1: I think for me, I learn by doing and I learn, you know, uh, unfortunately, what that really means is I learned by making mistakes. Mm. And I've made, as I said, I've made a lot of them in, in this career. Um, but I do think I'm getting better. I do think I'm learning. And I think, I, you know, I think I won't make those same mistakes in the future. I'll make different ones probably. Um, in terms of learning, you know, I love reading what's out there. I think I use Twitter as a guide. I, I'm very active on there and I've, I've learned so much from people on there.
0: Let's, let's go on a VC. I think there's a, there's a whole bunch of questions uh, and there's a few listener questions here from people who are curious to ask you as well. I heard you say on a podcast recently that you'd love to see more VC rounds with crowdfunding. And I think that the number you used was like a 10% crowdfunding and the rest is led by a VC. I don't know if you still quite believe that, but can you unpack the rationale behind why you think crowdfunding as part of a bigger round is actually good for founders?
1: Yeah, so I, w- I want to clarify that. what What I mean is like, Some portion of the round can be done by your customers and believers. You want to have like some small portion of the round where like people who believe in what you're doing can invest. I think that's important. I think generic crowdfunding, I'm much less interested in. But if it's people who are your customers and your believers in you, I think getting them on board is very valuable and it makes them even more believers in your company.
0: Your team... As part of my research, said that Shields, you're incredibly well connected and well versed, particularly in fintech, people, companies, business models, and you touched earlier that there's a value of uncertainty at the moment in in venture capital at the moment and, and technology. I wonder if you can unpack the state of fintech today, particularly what's one thing that excites you the most and what's one thing that you that you're a bit unsure about.
1: Sure. So I'd say like there's a lot that there's a lot more that I'm unsure about, and I'd say like. We are much more what I'll call opportunistic rather than thesis driven. So when I say that, I mean, we look at each deal as it comes in, look at the team and decide if we think there's an opportunity there rather than saying, here's a sector we believe in. We want to invest behind that thesis. All that being said, I think we still are big believers that the future 10 years from now looks different than it does today. FinTech 1.0 was bringing stuff that was offline online. And the next vision is like having fintech embedded in everyday life. And that's sort of the vision that we're investing behind today. So making it easier to build fintech into your existing product.
0: And how much of that is, if you think of some of these early stage founders that you backed, how much of it is your conviction in the team versus conviction in the product and the moat of the market?
1: It's definitely a little bit of both. It's hard not to not to think about the business, but I think actually at the stage we invest, which is very, very early, I think the team is actually more important. And if I look at my top investments, many of them pivoted. So like mm. what I invested in wasn't what ended up being successful. Mm. Um, so I think that's, that's uh, you know, pretty important to note. So really you're investing in a team that's executing that
0: vision. Did that mindset evolve? So I'm a a small angel investor, and and as an angel, I feel team is critical. The people are like, because you don't have the diligence, ability, and the resource to go into the data room and unpack the numbers and details. Did that evolve in your mindset from an angel to now being in BTV, where the way you analyze the team and the founder has changed?
1: It is different. Running a fund is very different from being an angel investor. Being an angel investor, you know, there are companies for which you kind of expect like, um, this could be a $100 million company. As an angel investor, like that's a reasonable bet. As a seed investor, $100 million outcome doesn't really move the needle. If I own 15% of the company, $15 million, or fund that's now $225 million, like that doesn't really move the needle. I'm looking for a much different outcome. And so what you look for as an angel investor is different than what you look for as, as a VC.
0: And if I, I'd love to get your thoughts on building relationships with founders early on. Like I think I said earlier, you come across a really relatable, easy to talk to guy. What are some of the questions you ask Thank when you. you meet a founder for the first time and build that trust?
1: I'd say like, there's no standard path. The only standard question is like, what are you building and why? And And, and then you go from there. I'd say like, we don't have a checklist. I think some people do. We don't. It's very much like, why are you building this? And hopefully, they've shared materials beforehand. And, and if they've shared materials beforehand, they know what what they're building, and I can dive in on specifics. Um, but there's no sort of standard. I think, I think I try to be open and honest about how we feel about the business, really. And you know, I think I think that serves us well because founders have told us like. Yeah, whether we're right or wrong, they've said like that feedback really impacted the business.
0: And do you do that with every founder where when you say no to them, you try and give them specific feedback or your team does? Because it's hard, right? It's hard to spend that much time giving feedback because I've seen it in my experience where sometimes you give the feedback and the founder gets really aggressive about it and they screenshot it on Twitter or they share it with other founders and even though you might have the best intentions, the impact of it can be negative.
1: Yeah, you nailed it. It's very true. We still, we still try to do it, and um, we. But you know, I think you bring up a very good point, which is sometimes the founder doesn't take it well, and sometimes I can tell during the call that they're getting overly defensive or aggressive about it, and it has happened where founders take it poorly, but that's just a part of business.
0: Hmm. I want, to, I want to get your views on firm building because we talk a lot about enduring startups and enduring founders and we talk about the raw materials. There's so many blogs about it. But when it comes to actually firm building, I mean, you're, you're living that game. What do, you think is, what do you think are the hallmarks of a bit enduring firm? What are those raw materials?
1: I mean, number one, it starts with an amazing team and we've got it. We've got a really wonderful team. I think you have to, everybody has to be low ego. And it can't be about, you know, like, like for us, me and Jake started the firm, obviously, but we, we tell people, Hey, listen, like just because we started it doesn't like our names aren't on the door. It's not permanently our fund. At some point, we're going to pass it on to other people. And I think a lot of folks hold on too long and don't build an enduring firm. We had a specific goal in mind when we started, Jake and I, we're both entrepreneurs. And we said, we want to build the firm that we wish we had when we were entrepreneurs. And so that's the lens at which we look at everything. And so when you ask a question about like, do you, how do you reply, do you give feedback? It's like, yeah, that's what we wish that all of our VCs did. So that's what we try to do. Now, if I'm being totally honest, I don't always do it. I don't always do the right thing, but I'm I'm trying. And I'd say overwhelmingly, we do we do, do the right thing. But there have been times where, like, I took a little bit too long to get back to somebody, or you know, stuff like that does happen. So we're definitely not perfect, but we're we're definitely our goal is to be the founder's number one choice.
0: Back to the episode in a moment. If you're a new listener and wondering what is the Curiosity Center, this podcast is one of our premium products, but we have more, including the Association Series newsletter, seven star events, investing, and more. Check out our website. To access your curiosity center, the link is in the show notes. I think an aspect of that that a few guests in the show probably have talked about and I think about it a bit is, is the dual customers that VC firm has. One is founders, but the other is LPs um, and, and managing that balance delicately. Is there any, something you've learned there about, and I don't know if your LPs are individual um, high net, worth well, founders and also institutions. Maybe there's a combination of that. How do you manage yeah. your time between LPs and founders and also building the team?
1: Yeah. So I think fortunately we're at a good spot on the team. So I haven't spent much time on that. And and I think we've gotten very lucky. Early on, we spent a lot of time on on hiring. As you know, it's like, it's a very difficult task. Finding the right people is very hard. Um, more recently, we've come gotten like inbound people that kind of self-select and it has worked out very well for us, and we give people a trial, and, and during the trial, either you know it's working very well or it isn't. That's how hiring is gone. But in terms of how we spend time with um, LPs versus founders, look, founders are the reason that we exist, and and like we will be successful if our founders are successful. So founders come first. Anything we can do for founders comes first. LPs help make that possible. And fortunately, we're in a position now, you know, certainly wasn't the case when we started, but fortunately we're in a position now where we have plenty of capital and we don't need to be at the mercy of every LP. Um, I think our LPs are happy with us. We we share information with them. We uh, They know how our companies are doing. We do what we can to be, great stewards of their capital. I think that's the most important thing. And being a great steward of their capital is serving the founders.
0: Hmm. I, I want to touch about touch on a few things within VC, particularly from a career path perspective in a second. But prior, we could, prior to we get to that, I'd love for you to visualize a room of Hall of Fame investors. You talked about heroes earlier. Let's say they're five seats. You've got one of those seats. Who are the four others you'd love to have <laughs> in the room with you?
1: Wow. Um, Hall of Fame investors. I think Hall of Fame, first of all, I wouldn't be in one of those seats. Maybe I'm like observing, but the seats would be, you know, Let's say you're certainly Don Valentine.
0: Let's say you're okay, the yeah, 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 yeah.
1: You know, I, I feel like I've learned a lot by learning from some of the greats out there. Um, the OG guys, the Sequoia guys, so Don Valentine, Mike Moritz, Doug Like you know, like the folks who've led the firms, um, I've read, read their stuff and, and hold on to every word. Um, you know, certainly Benchmark, of course, has done a great job and 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 uh, Mark Andreessen and Ben. So, you know, like all, all the greats, I think, have a seat. Uh, we're fortunate that Mark is an LP of ours and, and has been a good advisor to us. So um, that, that one is one that in particular we get to learn from in real time.
0: And maybe if I double click on that question and simplify it, are there any underrated investors that you feel should be in that successful club they don't get the credit they deserve are there any co-investors of yours or early stage investors that you really get inspired by that haven't quite made the sequoia 16z level yet i
1: think um i think there are a ton of great funds out there that somehow don't get the recognition matrix but a bunch of others that have like just performed fund after fund after fund but aren't considered in that top echelon that that really should be but i i can't think you know individuals I think these firms are are a collection of individuals but I think some of the firms have just done a phenomenal job
0: and if you do the same for founders particularly founders you've either got to know or you've backed who who are the founders that have surprised you the most that when you initially backed them you weren't sure whether they've actually ended up being world-class I'm putting you on the spot here and I don't know if you want to answer that but
1: <laughs> you know it, it's true of every every company that Every company that we um, we invest in that's been successful, when you make the investment, you don't expect it to be a billion dollar company, or you hope it will be, mm-hmm. but you don't know. Is this person going to be able to lead a team of five, six hundred people? At are they the ones at the helm? It's it's hard to know. So I would say everyone has surprised me on the upside. That, that every one of our successful companies, because like when you meet them, it's it's you know one or two people, and and then. Over these five or six years, some of them have grown to have a thousand people working for them, under them, and they've learned leadership styles along the way, and it's gone well. But uh, they've all surprised on the upside.
0: Some of the companies I think you've invested in that are close to billion-dollar outcomes, if not a billion-dollar cap. One of them is Flexport. I think you invested earlier. I don't know if that was pre-BTV.
1: It was pre-BTV, but yeah, I was a seed investor in Flexport.
0: Was there something you learned from that investment about improving your own investment muscle or understanding business models? Because Flexport aren't a traditional fintech platform, but they've done really well.
1: Um, yeah, I think um, I think in Flexport's case, so, so we do invest in some, we're in fintech investors, but we invest in some like other businesses if we think there's a fintech angle. And if you really, it's, if you have distribution and some data advantage, then you're probably well-primed to be a fintech investor, fintech company. Mm. So in the case of Flexport, they have distribution, um, they have data, and that they uh, see the shipping shipments of their customers time and time again, and they have collections. They're physically holding the inventory, so that makes them put them in a good position to be a lender. So they have Flexport Capital business, um, and I think that's true of other businesses as well. Um, so, so your question was like, what do we what do we see in Flexport? Or what did I see in Flexport? I think I really saw a founder that. I thought would be successful and had the right background. And I think what I loved about him is this like hacker Jugaad mentality that I saw in him really early on. And uh, I think we really bonded over that. And so, so it was, he's done a phenomenal job, as, as, as you know.
0: We, we spoke at the start of the conversation about your Indian influences. I mean, I'm Indian heritage too. And I think Indi- Indian executives and Indian investors are playing an increasingly bigger role, particularly in the US, and I imagine you've gotten to know some of them. What do you think it is about Indian culture or people that come from an Indian background that makes them so successful? One view that people tell me is that they're very humble and, and they're easy to get along with, and I think you're a great example of that. But also they're hard workers, but there's people from other cultures that are just as hardworking, just as humble, just as down to earth. Is there some secret sauce about Indian executives or Indian CEOs that you think separates them from the rest?
1: think there's something about like growing up in india I, I didn't grow up in india but growing up in india especially like 40 years ago was hard hmm. like everyday life wasn't easy um and you sort of learn you learn a lot when things aren't hard but you make it and uh i think there's something to that i think there's something to the culture of hard work and like you kind of needing to make it, like you needing to work hard to make it, and that's kind of instilled in you as a, at a young age. So I think these are these are ingredients, but you know, there's also you know one point one point four billion, and some subset of that is going to be successful, and and it helps that you know Indians, many Indians growing up speak learn English in school and that helps come to the US. So I think all these things are a factor. Um, but it certainly is a proud moment to see, you know, all these wonderful CEOs being being Indians. It's very proud for me, probably for you as well.
0: Mm. And that probably brings me to culture. I know I said I'll talk about VC, but maybe we'll get to that in a second. Is I read on your personal website that travel is a big part of your DNA and you've traveled a lot of them. You've got, a, you've got a bucket lifted of areas you want to travel to around the world as well. How has culture we've talked about Indian culture and American culture, but how has culture generally influenced you? Is that something that you think has shaped your views as now as an investor, where you meet founders from Latin America or a founder from Australia or a founder from the Middle East, and, and you can build that rapport really quickly at a human level?
1: Yeah, it is. Um, I think having traveled and, and seen places you can, you can converse, it's, it gives you like a quick talking point that is helpful. And when I travel, I try to really understand a place. Not that I, you know, not not that you can understand a place in a few days of travel, but I do my best. So, like, I go if I can go to a village. I'll go to a village. I'll go to a grocery store. I'll go. I'll, I'm not just seeing the tourist sites everywhere I go, because to me, like, that's really what I love is like understanding a culture. And so, I do think the travel has really helped. Um, so, I, I think it's it's hard to say specifically but on the margins it feels like because i've been like i've been to 70 plus maybe 80 countries um i think everyone that i meet as an entrepreneur they start talking about something i i have like immediate point where i can say something relatable um talk about you know i i was um it's happened a few months ago. We met a company, based in, based in London, but founders Lebanese, and I was telling him about my two favorite falafel places in yeah. Beirut, and he he like dropped to the floor, like, oh my god! He like called his friend. Can you believe this? i you know, it's it stuff like that. It's kind of just fun, and I think you know, on the margins, if he's like, if he has like two options, like who does he want to work with? Maybe he wants to work with the guy who like had this fun story, you know.
0: Have you, have you traveled to Africa?
1: Yeah, I have. Uh, yeah, I was there a little bit last year. I was in Kenya and I was in South Africa last year, but, but a few times before as well.
0: Cause FinTech in Africa, at least last year before this sort of recalibration was hot. Right?
1: Yeah, very much so. Um, a lot of, lot of investment went in. I think, I think the thing with Africa is it's, it's a, it's a huge opportunity vastly growing population growing middle class kind of like if you look at maybe where india and some of these other countries were 50 years back in terms of where the growth is, is projected in the future so that's really exciting um i think it's still very difficult operating these markets if i'm being honest um but yeah there's a lot of growth coming in africa and I- i'm excited to spend more time there
0: In know other- area I'm curious for your thoughts on is the Australian ecosystem. So we've seen companies like Canva and Atlassian come out of Australia, and we've got others that are close to unicorn status. How do you view the Australian startup ecosystem? Is that something you feel has potential? Or is that something that doesn't even come up on your radar?
1: You know, in fintech in particular, it's quite hard because mm. usually you build for your local market first. And that that's the challenge is Australia is just like, not a big enough country like it's what 25 million people and you can have success there obviously afterpay started in, in mm. australia and then came to the us and ended up becoming a very successful company 30 billion dollar exit um but in general you know serving a country less than one-tenth the size of the united states makes it tough to be starting
0: mm.
1: uh, as a place to start from but but I think there will be – there are great founders there and building building great companies. Um, but I think we look for bigger markets.
0: Mm. I mentioned earlier about asking you a few VC career-related questions because a lot of the listeners of this show are young professionals in, in, in various parts yep. of the world. And VC has become this hot space. It's kind of the new investment banking, the new consulting where everyone wants to go into VC. What would you say are three tips you'd give a young listener who wants to become an associate at BTV or join one of the big funds in, in the US that so they can set them up for success?
1: I think the main thing is just start doing the job before you have the job. Just work hard, pound the pavement, get to know founders. Um, that's That's the number one advice I would give. And that's what's worked for everybody who came to work for BTV. They started doing stuff. They started sharing stuff with us before they even started the job. And I think if you act like you have the job, there's a much better chance of you actually having the job.
0: And that's your biggest tip?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Simple. I think the same would be, same would be, it's very simple. Hmm. Um, but I think the same would be true in other jobs too, but certainly hmm. true in VC. Hmm.
0: And, and then part two of that question, which we touched on earlier, is that progression from a analyst associate to a principal partner. And it's, it's rare. It's rare in VCs. People generally start and then go become an operator or go to an MBA or come back later on. <laughs> Do you, if you could create your own, I mean, you are with BTV creating your own, you have your own firm and you can create your own progression pathways. What do you think is the right pathway for someone who wants to progress through VC? And what is the, what are those kind of credentials they need to get to come to you and go, Shield, I've been an associate for two years. I want to be a principal. What can I do to become a principal?
1: Yeah. So I think, I do think having operating background is very helpful. I don't think it's a requirement, but I think it's helpful. Um, And... You know, our vision is at BTV, like if you come work for BTV and you're doing great, why would I want you to leave? Like I'd want you to stay. Um, so I don't understand the programs where like there a lot of other firms have associate programs where you come for two years, and then you're kicked out, basically. Mm. That's not how we operate. We operate as in like if things are going well, you know, we've trained you or you've learned so much along the way. We want you to stay with us, is is how, how we think about it. Um, that being said, you know, if you come in from banking or something like that, you you do a quick turn in in VC, I do think the next thing that you should do is be an operator. Not don't have, don't have to be a founder, but I think working in some role in a in a in a company is valuable because when people come to you for advice, you'll be able to say, this is advice I can tell you because I've been there, you know.
0: Yeah, and last one on that, I think one of the things that I've observed that VC or to my VC friends is distilling thoughts onto paper or into an investment memo. That's a critical part of the job, particularly if they come and present to you. What do you think are the components of a fantastic investment memo?
1: Yeah. So um, it's really like understanding the background on the company and why we need the investment. And so we don't have a standard format. We, we have some standard things like there are the numbers, what we invested, how much we got, how we met them, that sort of thing. But um, it's really like, why, if you're a third party, well, the way we think about it is like, if we're sharing this with a third party, does that make them want to invest in the company? And so what information would they want? So it's like, how we know the founders, why we think these founders are well-equipped to, to, to win in this category, what homework have we done to understand that? And then, you know, uh, how big is the opportunity if, if it's successful?
0: Last question before I get to rapid fire sprint and then we will wrap up is we both touched on the fact that founders are needing help at the moment and things are uncertain. If you had to stack rank the three areas where you're seeing founders need the help the most, what would they be? I'd love for you to educate our listeners.
1: Where, Where do founders need the most help from VCs?
0: Yeah, so there's. Uh, I mentioned earlier, listeners of the show are young professionals, but a lot of founders listen to the show as well, and they'd be really curious for your views on what advice would you have for founders, or what are some of the areas that you feel founders are falling over at the moment that maybe they should be more aware of?
1: Yeah, I think um, I think it's the, the main thing that bothers me about founders is some, sometimes is um, when they're focused on the wrong metrics. So, like, think about the things that really, really matter. Just focus on those things. Don't worry about bullshit metrics. Don't Don't say like, oh, we won this award. That's important. None of those things are important. What matters at the end of the day is like how big a business you build and like how much profit you have in the long run. Um, so really focus on the things that matter is, is, is my number one advice for founders. And then in terms of like things that matter to founders, you know, from a VC perspective, I'd say like we try to help, like the things that are most critical are, building a great team around you so like we try to help there we have our own team that can help on the recruiting side um and then what matters what else matters is um raising the next round and uh and and so obviously we try to help there as much as we can um and and then we also try to help by, by like building a community we think that founders need a community around them and we try to build a community of btv founders
0: One of the things that I'm seeing at the moment is a lot of founders have almost forgotten about growth and they're very focused on reducing their burn and that's leading them to a standstill. Are you seeing that as well in your companies?
1: Totally. Um, I think it's a symptom of the market that ebbs and flows. And um, I think right now the advice is certainly uh, make the money last longer. You know, like don't don't, don't raise if you don't have to. So we're definitely guiding our founders towards that, and guiding some of them towards being cash flow positive. Hmm. And so, there are trade offs that you make when you get there.
0: I'd love to close with a quick rapid fire final sprint chill. Is there one investment you've made that you consider the best in your life, non financial?
1: Ah, non financial. It's a good, good one. Um, you know, there's so many things that I could answer, but I just got married. Um, this past weekend. So I have to say, Amrita, my number one
0: investor. <laughs> I, I need to change that question because every guest mentions their partner. So I need to find it. <laughs> okay, okay. 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 Is there one thing you want to learn in the next six months?
1: I think, I think like right now in the world of venture, there's a lot of change as we talked about already in this podcast. And I think. I want to be amazing at navigating this so that I can be amazing at navigating the next one. And so that's kind of what I'm focused on learning over the next six months.
0: Is there one person, a quote that inspires you today?
1: Yeah, I think there are a couple of quotes that I really like. Um, They're actually on my website. I think you probably read them, but Mm. I think one of them is like, there's this surfer guy, Laird Hamilton, who has a quote about failing to win, which is, um, People don't want to do new things if they think they're going to be bad at them or people are going to laugh. But you have to be willing to subject yourself to failure, to be bad, to fall on your head again and again and again and try stuff that you've never done in order to be the best that you can be. And so that's something that I try to live by. I don't I don't get embarrassed easily. I I. I know I failed many times in my past. I'm going to fail many times in the future. But that's the only way to get better. And so I think that's a quote I love to live by.
0: If you could be pick one meal that you could have for the rest of your life, what would that be?
1: Taco Bell Mexican pizza.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not sponsored by Taco Bell.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Not sponsored by Taco Bell, yeah.
0: And last one, what was your most publicly announced investment and why did you make it?
1: I think the most recent announced company that we did is a company called Portal in Brazil. And it's a corporate card. And... There are a lot of corporate cards out there, so people said like, why would you do another one? Well, we thought these guys had a unique angle on it, like they're selling software, uh, leading with software, because a corporate card, a card itself is a commoditized product, but the way that they're selling it, um, which is like leading with software, selling it to enterprise, is something that was very interesting to us. And then they have a lot of traction, and we were shocked at how much traction they had after only raising less than a half million dollars and so we got really excited about this team and and made the investment
0: nice i will check it out well chill we that's the finish line thanks for joining me on the show
1: thank you so much for having me it was a so blast
0: i hope you took away some actual insights and learnings from this conversation to apply to your life and continue to be one percent better if you're enjoying the show i'd love to hear from you you can either share a rating or review on your podcast app Or contact me directly via email or any of our social media pages. All links are in the show notes. Talk soon.